0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat, Bulls fans. Doug Thomas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And it has been a while since I've done the podcast. Sorry for that. As uh, you may have known, I had some health concerns and. You know, some other stuff keep me busy. I'll give you an update on the health stuff at the very end of the show if you're interested. But uh, the rest of you who maybe don't care can just go through the rest of the uh, the podcast without all that. And so looking at the season in my first show since the season's been over and a little bit of uh, a recap, I'd say my grade for the season overall is probably, uh, I don't know, C minus, D plus. You know, it kind of depends a little bit. What are you looking at in, in terms of what the Bulls did here? They didn't make the playoffs. They didn't make the playing game. I think going into the season, that was an expectation that many of us had, at least a hope that we had. I think we felt we were in the top 10 teams. So to not be there was somewhat of a disappointment, especially because Zach Levine was healthy for almost the entire season. Sadly, he missed a fairly critical stretch when we actually had Nikola Vucevic here, uh, which would have been nice to see them play together longer and see how that worked out for everyone. But we didn't really get to see that chemistry form nearly as much as we would have liked to have seen. But the other way you could look at this, and maybe if you look at it from this perspective, it's maybe a C plus, B minus, uh, maybe a B even, and for some people possibly even an A, is that we position ourselves to be much better next season. By making this trade at the deadline, we, we are going to be much better in the short term over the next couple of years. You know, my criticisms of this trade have largely been about, well, where are we really going to go with this group? You know, it's clearly not enough talent, but, you know, there's no way to establish enough talent to beat the Nets with Durant, Harden, and Irving. You know, you just look at that, and you're like, well, we're not going to get three guys better than that. So it's it's hard to grade any move based on that type of analysis because really everything you do then becomes a loser in that perspective, and that's not really a fair way to look at things and not a way we'd want to look at things. So we did upgrade the talent quite a bit. You know, we do look like we should be a playoff team next year. I feel like I've been saying that for three, four years in a row, but this time we, we really did grab a, a pretty significant Piece of talent, and we're not looking at can guys develop into players that will make us better next year. I mean, I think just with the talent we have, if no one makes significant changes, we should have enough talent to make the playoffs next year. So, from that perspective, you could look at this and say the season was a success and that we set ourselves up for better years in the future. Whether the amount better we are is worth the cost, and whether we can stay better long enough to be worth the cost are different you know, conversations and reasons why I'm less excited about the trade. So depending on your view, I mean, I think this this actual outcome of this season has to be disappointing to everyone in terms of the win-loss record, but in terms of how we're set up for next year, you could argue that some significant strides have been made. It'll be very interesting to watch the lottery, which may impact, you know, how we look at uh, what we do the rest of this offseason, depending whether the Bulls move up, because it's a really big difference, obviously, between getting a top-four pick and a four-deep draft versus Uh, not having any pick at all. You know, I mean, normally you would be slotted at eighth or so. And so instead of going from, you know, eight up to one to four, you're either now at one to four or you're at nothing. And so I think that is a, you know, obviously a a pretty wide difference. So we'll see what happens on draft night. We have around a 20% chance of moving up. So we will keep our fingers crossed. So I'd like to take a look at who's going to come back and who's not going to come back. And it kind of gets in a little bit into an over versus under the cap philosophy. We've talked a lot about going over the cap and, or sorry, uh, going way under the cap and trying to use our cap space to sign someone like Lonzo Ball. Recently, we've seen Mike Conley, Kyle Lowry, and Chris Paul become options that people are looking at. If we could get way under the cap, and we would lose almost all the depth on our roster to bring in one of those pieces, but you know, you'd have this like kind of like third star piece that you'd be adding to the puzzle, and you'd have to to fill out the team with vet men guys, but maybe with three stars that doesn't matter so much. Uh, So those are kind of your your couple different options there. I'm a fan of staying over the cap, and in general, I have a plan for 2022, the 2022 plan. I know everyone loves plans named after years. We have lots of cap room open, Uh, certainly not to be mocked at all. But I have a 2022 plan, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. If you haven't heard me discuss it on the Big Red Bus, But so looking at over versus under the cap, the main thing I think is if you go under the cap, you're going to have to sacrifice a lot of assets to make, you know, really meaningful space. And there's just not a lot of depth in this class and not a lot of reason you feel you're going to get any of the guys that you want to get. And what makes the situation a little bit trickier is the guarantee date on guys like Thad and Sato is prior to free agency starting and prior to whether you know whether you're going to get any of these guys. And I think that makes it especially difficult to decide on these guys. I would say it would be an absolute shocker if the Bulls got rid of Thad Young and uh, or Sedaransky really, just because I think those contracts are, are pretty generous for one year in terms of what you're getting versus what you're paying. Generous on the Bulls side, I guess I should say. Maybe stingy value contracts. I think they're solid contracts. You're not going to be able to replace those two guys for the 24000000 million they'll collectively make combined. Like You're not going to be able to replace their productivity. And if you could get one player and say that one player is much better though, then maybe it's worth it to you. But I don't think you're even going to be able to do that. And so I think you end up probably keeping both those guys. If you trade, or if you waive Thad Young and you pay out his buyout after not trading him at the deadline, it would be an absolutely critical failure on on the part of Carneshevich uh, uh, to, to do that. I mean, it would just be a critical failure because while you couldn't have maybe gotten tons for Thad Young, you could have gotten a first round pick for him. You know, maybe a late first-round pick, say in the mid to late 20s, and an expiring deal, and then you wouldn't have to have all that money of his non—sorry, non, his guaranteed portion on your contract, which I—I want to say was five million, ten million. You know, you'd be you'd be out of that money as well. So, uh, you, you know, if you screwed that up and you didn't get the pick, and you have the extra room on your cap while trying to get under the cap, it would just be a critical failure. Moreover, you know, Thad Young is very very close with Zach Levine. Zach has spoken highly about Thad lots of times and then he also seems extremely close to Pat Williams and seems to be taking him under his wing and so from that perspective I just think it's really unlikely that you're going to move on from Thad and when I look at Sato I'm like you think you're going to get a better point guard for one year at 10 million dollars than Sadaransky? I just don't think you are. I mean he's a versatile player can do a bunch of different things. I know he's not a stud but he is uh, the type of player you're going to get for $10 million and you don't have to go long-term on him. And by keeping these guys who each have one year left, you put yourself in position to do what I call the 2022 plan. And so let's look at who I think will be back and who I think won't be back. And this is what I would do if I were managing the team. Returning would be uh, Zach, Vooch, Pat, Kobe, uh, Troy Brown, Jr. I think those five guys are basically mortal locks to come back. You know, They're all on guaranteed contracts. You know, Zach and Vooch clearly are coming back. Pat and Kobe, unless they're involved in some type of trade to bring in the third star of some type, which, you know, you evaluate that opportunity if it arises, but it doesn't seem likely to me that that's going to happen, uh, are clearly going to come back. And Troy Brown has one more year left on his rookie deal. I think he's clearly going to come back as well. And so then you start looking at Sato and Thad. I just discussed them in great length of why I think they're coming back. And I think, uh, you know, that that seems also, you know, like those guys will come back just because I don't think you're going to be able to do uh, better uh, you know, than those guys at the same price. So then El Farouk Aminu, I think he's going to come back. He's a dead contract. I think you just keep him on the books because you can use him as trade filler later. And there's no reason to wave him and stretch him if you're not going to be under the cap. And as I said, I am an over the cap guy. So you keep Aminu just because it gives you trade flexibility when you're trying to match contracts if you need to make a trade later. And there's like just no reason not to. You're going to st- still pay him either way. You might as well get the cap hit you know, out of the way now. So there's, so I think he's back just for that reason, for some flexibility going forward. If you go under the cap, you almost certainly waive Aminu, and then you uh, stretches his contract out over three years. Uh, that's almost a necessity to get you know significantly under. And he's obviously dead space the way he was treated. Whether he can do something or not going forward, is uh, maybe a question. I mean, I'm a little surprised he didn't get more opportunity than he did. I mean, he was a decent player a few years ago, and just just didn't seem to ever be able to do anything since then. So. I actually think Amino might have some chance of playing his way into the back end of the rotation uh, if if he's here and if he's healthy, but we'll see how that goes. And then Garrett Temple, I think he would be back because he's a guy you can probably get on a one-year deal based on his age. You can sign him to 120% of his last salary. I think no one else is going to sign him to more than that. So I think he becomes a guy you just keep because you can keep him on a one-year deal. And again, I'm trying to get guys on one-year deals. That leaves leaving for me uh, guys that you don't care about Denzel Valentine, Ryan Archie Diacono, Javante Green, Cristiano Felicio, Adam Makoka, and Devon Dotson. I don't think we care about any of those guys, you know, I, I don't know if you really need any discussion on them. You know, Val clearly is not great, Archie's clearly not great. Green is someone I think they could look at as a minimum guy to keep. They didn't play him a whole ton. Uh, I, I liked him, you know, when I did play him and they can use you know, his his type of player a little bit. So he has a chance to stick. I just think he's going to be looking for the most money he can get the most years he can get. Maybe it's just one year at the minimum. If so, it might be here, but he didn't get tons of opportunity here. So I think he might, just, even if it's just minimum anywhere, might look elsewhere, someplace where he feels he can get more time on the floor. Uh, Felicio obviously gone for, you know, and, and Makoka obviously gone, you know, those guys just didn't play at all. And Dotson, he's on a two-way deal, you know, we might keep him on that two-way deal. I think he'll probably be gone just to be replaced with a different guy on a similar deal because you know, he, he basically didn't get into any action at all, even, even when there was opportunity to play him. And that, to me, says he was just either really bad in practice or, you know, something was going on where they didn't even want to give him a shot and throw him on the court and see what could happen. And, and so because of that, I think they just don't like something about him, something about his personality or something about his work ethic or something about his, his game and the way he plays or just something. Like it just feels like if they were excited about him, they'd have found some way to get him some burn at the end of the season when it was clearly a dead season, and, and they didn't do that. So we'll see, see what happens there. But I, I predict those guys are all gone, and I don't think anyone cares about those guys really. Now the two intriguing guys, somewhat intriguing, that could be gone are Daniel Tice and Larry Markinen. I think we expect Lowry to be gone. Uh, I think the Bulls should extend the qualifying offer to him if they can get him on a one-year deal, especially while trying to uh, create 22 cap space. If he signs the qualifying offer, that's like a perfect scenario for him. He'll be a much better value than anyone else. They're going to bring in at the same price and it would be a one-year deal, which would be exactly what they need uh, while trying to, to build towards a good season and having lots of cap room next year. Uh, but I don't. I think someone will, will take him away. You can then discuss whether you want to do a sign and trade with Lowry. If someone else who is over the cap wants him, that would be the best outcome. I don't think you'll get much out of that. If you look historically at restricted free agents, the amount of times that they return anything meaningful in value is extremely low, and it's it's generally not guys in Lowry's position. So I, I think I think it's pretty unlikely that we're going to find a whole lot in return for Lowry in the sign and trade market. You know, it's clearly you, you look and see what you can do. Uh, they remove the phrase base year compensation, but effectively he still counts as, as what the base year compensation uh, player exception means, which means he's going to count as like say 17 million to the team that acquires him and. You know, half of that value, 8.5 million, to us, and then you're gonna have to match salaries, and that that makes things complicated. It means you have to add more players to the deal to to make all the salaries work in the trade. So, I think there's there's enough complication there that it just doesn't feel like that's super likely to happen. But yeah, you know, you you give him the QO and just see what happens uh, from there. Daniel Tice. I mean, I think probably a lot of you love Daniel Tice. I love Daniel Tice, watching him. But I think he's just not gonna be a guy who's in our price range based on what we want to do and based on where we are and i I think he's gonna we're not gonna be the high bidders i don't know that i really want to be the high bidder on daniel tice Uh, it's going to remove a lot of the limited flexibility we have left if we are and so you're going to lose tice most likely in my opinion and if you want to to try my plan that i'm going to propose to you of the 2022 plan you absolutely have to lose tice in order for that to work because you can't bring on any uh, salaries that are going to extend into 2022. and so the 2022 plan is this uh, you set yourself up with only one year deals uh, for this year. You, so, you're going to sign the best guy you can for the mid level exception, whoever's left over on a one year deal, which means you're going to get like a probably a $6 million player and pay him one year, $10 million just to get him to come on a one year deal. Uh, so, you're not going to get a, a great player, someone probably a one year deal similar quality to Garrett Temple, like that type of guy, either like a, a veteran that's got something left but can't play big minutes or, you know, I don't know, something, something like that is probably what you're going to end up with. And then what you're going to do is you're going to enter 2022 offseason with uh, Zach Levine's cap hold. Zach will be a free agent at this point. Nikola Vucevic, Kobe White, and Pat Williams. And you will have $42 million in cap space, which is then enough cap space that you can sign a 10-year uh, max free agent to one of these like, super whatever deals. Kawhi Leonard and Bradley Beal are the two guys I would look at signing, not necessarily because they're two two best guys that will be in that class, I think Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving's deals might all be options that year Uh, there's like a lot of different choices of guys that will be available that year that are, are quality and people you'd be interested in Uh, But I do think that those guys are guys that might consider leaving, depending what happens with the Clippers over the next two seasons. Granted, if the Clippers, who just beat the Dallas Mavericks, as I'm recording this the previous day and are now in the second round, if they somehow go on a run and win the championship, then I think the odds of that become much, much less. If the Clippers bow out to the Utah Jazz in the second round of the playoffs, then I think you you might see a point where a year later Kawhi Leonard is looking for a new home if things have not improved since then, especially because Paul George hasn't really looked like a star performer next to him. And if Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic both look like star performers, he might find that to be a much more intriguing uh, situation to form a big three with someone. So we'll see how all of that shakes out. Uh, Bradley Beal, the other guy I would target, not because I think Bradley Beal is a great fit. I would much rather have Kawhi Leonard, who's both a better player and a better fit. But the intriguing thing about Bradley Beal is that he loves coach Billy Donovan. He uh, played for him in college, and he views Donovan as one of his best coaches of all time, has said nothing but positive things about him. And so because of that, it seems far more likely that Beal would consider coming to the Bulls as a free agent, especially with a couple other star players uh, in the Eastern Conference. So I think that is someone that's gettable. Now, I don't like to fit so much. Uh, Beal and Levine seem highly redundant in, in a lot of ways. But the thing I'm going to say is, it's just like Harden and Irving and Durant are redundant in a lot of ways. You can never have too much redundant, high-efficiency, high-volume scores that can take over a game. Like, it's just a, a an area where it always helps to be redundant. And so I think that those guys can find a way to make it work. Uh, I don't think you'd play a, a real point guard in that position. Probably Levine or Beal would, would collectively take on the, the point guard roles, and, and Vucevic is a good enough passer as well that you can have a lot of ball movement in that offense without a traditional point guard. You probably would want maybe someone who, who can help bring the ball up the court, another good ball handler out there, but I think you would not uh, run with a traditional point guard and, and if you had those guys. So that's kind of what I think I would do. Uh, you know, like At this point, you're trying to figure out how can we leverage some situation into getting a third star, and there's three ways you can effectively get a star. right? You can get one in the draft, you can get one through trade, and you can get one through free agency. And so the 2022 plan it leaves open the possibility for free agency as a way to get that star. Now, if you can get one at the 2022 deadline next year, you know through a trade, and you've got still Amino Thad, and Sato as contracts that can match salary, and you can throw a bunch of picks, and you throw Pat Williams or Kobe White in there as value or something like that. Sure, you can do that too. This plan doesn't stop you from uh, you know using guys as is assets uh, to a- acquire someone in a trade. So I think from a trade perspective, this plan is pretty similar to whether you go out to free agency and sign people. You know, if you sign someone at market value, and usually when you sign a free agent, you have to kind of overpay if they're not a, a non-max player. So there's a big question of like, is Lonzo Ball, say you sign Lonzo Ball, the $22 million a year uh, for four years, and it ends up being, you know, starts at 22 and ends up at whatever. And it's like, say, basically four 100 by the end of the deal. You know, is Lonzo Ball on a 4-100 contract really a value to another team looking for a star player, And the answer, or le- losing a star player? And the answer is probably not really that exciting to them as, as like a, an asset, because like it's so expensive, it may be their, their timeline is different, they may not want to take that type of money on the book, so it's not like when you sign guys, generally they are not assets, uh, significant assets, they might be minor assets, someone might like them. But usually if you're the high bidder on someone, that means you like them more than everyone else or at least you know, in the ballpark of everyone else and, and the other people you know, paid the same, would have paid similar to you or less or they weren't able to make a bid. But you're generally not going to get a guy in some great value deal. And so by default, anyone you sign as a free agent this offseason is going to have relatively minimal value as a trade asset later. And so if you look at it from that perspective and knowing that those guys aren't going to have huge value because the the cost of their contract is going to be similar to the value of their play, then you get to the point where it's like your your trade scenario is still neutral. You can still give up pretty, you know, pretty much a lot of picks now. I mean, you'll still have the 23 one out, but you can then go 20, 25, 27, 29. I think would be able to 29. I think in 22, I think that that's right. But you'll be able to throw future picks out there if you want to, and you'll have a couple young prospects you can throw out there. And so with, with that being that way, then I think you, uh, you can maybe still have some chance to trade for a star. I don't think a very high chance, but some chance to trade for a star and signing one. Then now you've got room to sign someone. I think that becomes your most likely possibility to bring in another star player onto this team. Because you'll have a couple star players and, you know, with the roster I hope to construct, I think you'll be able to make the playoffs, you'll be able to make some noise, you'll, you'll bring that positive attitude back to Chicago basketball, and that should be intriguing enough to make someone say, yeah, I, I, there's two other stars here, if I come here, I think I can make something happen. And I think that becomes uh, the most intriguing way you can to, to kind of build uh, towards a star player. So uh, that is my thought there. So a couple of things i would maybe consider doing while trying to do this uh, first is i would try to make a trade with the minnesota timberwolves and i would offer up ryan Archie Diacono and alfaruk uh, aminu for ricky rubio and you know in getting rubio back he he's he is my solution to the point guard problem quote unquote uh, you can't see me making my air quotes i think the point guard problem is really overrated uh, actually looking at the needs of the bulls i'll go over that in a second but it, it brings in another point guard Uh, who's clearly a pure facilitator someone who will move the ball uh, fine guys can facilitate the offense is a solid defender you know not a not a great shooter obviously has lots of holes in this game the Timberwolves would almost certainly be willing to part with him with uh, D'Angelo Russell there and then depending really good chance if they keep their draft pick that they'll draft another guy who's going to be a ball handler and can yeah, you know, help in that role as well. I don't think Rubio's in their long-term plans. Saves them about ten million dollars if you throw them some cash as well. And so, from their perspective, yeah, you want to give us ten million bucks? We'll just let this guy go and replace him with a vet min player. I think they'd be willing to do that based on where they are positioned as a team. And it's just a straight, you know, improvement to our roster. Rubio's in the last year of his deal, so then that becomes uh, a deal that does not hurt the 2022 plan. And so that's kind of like a, I'd be looking for trades and if there's other ones similar to that where you're trying to get a guy who's, who's solid and has, uh, is on the last year of his deal to a team that's, you know maybe doesn't need that guy anymore. And so I just discussed why I don't think, or I should say I just discussed, I don't think point guard is the biggest need on this team. And so I think it feels like point guard's a really big need and I think that's because we've not really seen Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine play a lot of minutes together yet. But when these guys play a lot of minutes together, like how often is the ball going to be in someone else's hand? You know, these, these two guys are guys that can both kind of create shots. They can both take a lot of volume of shots. They're both going to put up a lot of shots. They're both going to have the ball a lot. I don't think you need, you know, someone like Kyle Lowry or Mike Conley or Chris Paul who's going to have the ball just tons and tons in their hand playing. Like I just don't think that's going to be a, a super valuable Uh, thing for the bulls to have especially when looking at the other needs and this does depend a lot directionally because what happens with mike or sorry uh daniel tice is is a huge piece of this so if you keep tice maybe you don't need another front court player but you know under my plan you're losing daniel tice and I, i think the bulls will lose daniel tice and you look at the front court that's left there and after you got rid of carter and after you got rid of gafford and after you get rid of tice you know the front court that's remaining is basically pat williams and nikola vucevic you know, so, you're going to need another, another big man, and you're going to need a defensive big man. Now, maybe Pat Williams, who's maybe even a wing, uh, maybe he's your starting power forward. You know, maybe Lowry comes back on the qualifying offer, and that becomes different too. But assuming things work as, as I described, it's like you basically are down to Nikola Vucevic, and Pat Williams is your front court. So, your biggest need now is going to be front court players of some type. You know, you're actually going to really need someone like Daniel Gafford. Uh, in this situation, going forward, and that might be just enough reason why the front office might consider trying to keep Daniel Tice, uh, but it's it's, it's going to be really complicated. I think to do that. I guess you still have sorry. You have Thad Young as well. Thad Young would be the other guy you got there. But you know Thad can only play like 20 minutes a day, uh, a game, 25 minutes a game. Like it's it's going to be a very narrow front court. So your biggest need for talent is going to be an impact defender in in the front court. Uh, I think that's what the team will really need the most. And then after that, you're going to need shooting uh, because you're going to lose Lowry as a shooter, to the extent that Valentine was a shooter. You're going to lose Valentine. Uh, so you're not going to have as is, is, uh, much shooting as you used to. I think so you're going to need another shooter on the wing. And I think you just have to hope that Kobe White can continue to improve and develop, and maybe he's not a star point guard, but that he and Zach Levine can play 1A, 1B, both handle the ball well enough and both handle the responsibilities well enough to get the Bulls into their offense. And that really you're just going to see a lot of – Zach and Booch pick and rolls, and a lot of Kobe and Booch pick and rolls. Maybe we'll even see some Zach and Kobe pick and rolls. But uh, but I think uh, seriously, you'll see you'll see those uh, you'll see those pick and rolls a lot as kind of probably being a staple of the offense. And I don't think you're going to need a, a lot of action to come out of the, the the guard and like you you would otherwise. And and the other guys that are going to be on the floor are probably going to be spacers and role players and not guys that are going to you know take and make and facilitate lots of shots and things like that. You know it's going to be three and D guys you want on and, and the other areas. A lot will depend on what happens with Pat Williams and his development this offseason as well and what kind of skills and tools that he comes back with. So it would be nice if you can get another offensive facilitator or offensive creator, you know, a guy who can create shots off, off the dribble. You know, it's always good. You can never have too many of those guys. I mean, I think it's always valuable to have them. I just don't think that point guard is going to be nearly as big a need as the front court will be. And so uh, while everyone is kind of seeking answers for the front court, it's sort of like seeking the answer to last year's problem. Uh, but that's not the answer to this year's problem coming up, is maybe how I would put that. Uh, so, you yeah, know, that in a nutshell is kind of like this what my thoughts are right now going into the offseason. And uh, so some other news. Hopefully with any luck, I'll have Casey Johnson on the podcast in the next week. Uh, I I talked with Casey, agreed to do the show, at least for now, uh, pending our schedules aligning. So hoping we can record at the end of the week, which would be just outstanding. And then, uh, you know, for those interested uh, in my, my personal health, I know I I posted on Twitter, I was in uh, the hospital inpatient uh, overnight. Uh, So I have to go in and, and get a surgery. I saw I think four different specialists uh, of like various areas to look at different uh, causes of blood clots. I had a blood clot, and uh, they all came away with the same conclusion that it was something called thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, For those who, uh, I guess, have gone on to Twitter, a couple people who said like, "Oh, could this be from the COVID vaccine?" I did get the Pfizer COVID vaccine. Um, You know, I guess I would say, well, in the grand scheme of things, anything is possible. Uh, You know, the thoracic outlet syndrome was there, and, uh, you know, if if the vaccine in some way made my blood 10% more likely to to clot, and that was what pushed it over the edge, I I guess, technically, but this was an underlying problem uh, that was going to come out eventually regardless. Uh, I'd I'd say it's, you know, probably more likely than not in my completely non-medical, non-knowing opinion that it was unrelated, but, uh, you know, there's not, not a lot of reason to think that there's any correlation there, and from a personal perspective, uh, I would still make the same choices, so i I don't actually worry about that a whole lot. Um, for those who don't know, blood clots are quite serious uh, they they cause embolism, stroke, uh, all kinds of fun ways to die, so it was great that uh, this was caught before there was any major problems. and the best news is after I get this surgery, uh, which I have to get in about a week and a half after that, I will uh, be fully okay as if nothing ever happened. and so you know if you ever have any type of large medical problem. The best case scenario for you is that they can very specifically diagnose it, show conclusively this is what it is, and the thing that they say conclusively is has a, a specific treatment that will leave you unaffected the rest of your life after it is over. So probably going to be a long two three months for me in, in recovery or whatever as I go through uh, getting a rib removed and then uh, you know living with the outcome of that for a few months while my body heals up again, but then you know, when it's all said and done, it'll be like nothing ever happened. And I can't ask for really any better outcome than that when, uh, you know, going into something like this. So uh, appreciate all the good thoughts uh, that, that you've had and all the uh, support you've uh, sent my way over Twitter and other sources. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, tune in just and hopefully a little less than a week for another edition of The Bulls Beat, where uh, Casey Johnson and I will maybe be covering some of these same topics, but I'm going to be uh, pinning Casey down on what he would do and uh, if he agrees with my astute analysis or whether I'm really a moron. And then also we'll obviously get into what he thinks uh, Karnaschovas will do you know, with, his, with his insight. So uh, thank you very much for listening. And I'll talk to you guys very soon.